на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. This week we take a quick look at some of the recent RPL action before turning our attention to Spornaya and the Nations League games coming up. With, this, with me this week is David Sanson. Hello, hello. We've had a little bit of a spate of injuries this week, with Richard and Andrew both pulling out of the squad late, so it's just a duo for only the second time on the pod. Earlier this week, Krasnodar, Rostov and Dinamo Moscow discovered their respective opponents in the upcoming European qualifying rounds. First of all, Krasnodar were drawn against the winners of Pauk versus Benfica, facing off over two rounds for a place in the Champions League group stages. The games take place over the 22nd and 30th September. Dynamo Moscow faced Lokomotiv Tbilisi in the Europa League second qualifying round on 17th of September. And we'll actually have four, ga- four games to win should they want to reach the group stages, facing either Granada or Tuta should they win. While Rostov faces either Maccabi Haifa, Zelezhnikar or Kairat Almaty for a place in the Europa League groups on the 24th of September. So David, initial gut reaction on that one. Think we could see some more Russian teams in the group stages this year? Yeah, well, it's, uh, could have been worse, I think, for a couple of them. Dinamo, um, I think, have got. Well, they should. They should, on theory, be able to push aside Loco Tbilisi. They're on not bad form domestically. Dinamo, uh, this is not on bad form domestically. Um, you know, have had a good summer campaign of transfers, so you'd sort of fancy them to to beat Tbilisi and then give it a good go versus presumably Granada will beat um, the Albanian side Tuta. Uh, but you never know in, in Europa, especially as these ties are uh, a one-leggers. Um, so anything can happen there, but you, you'd imagine that Granada will, will break through if they've had uh, a good season back in Spain. Um, and then it'll be a tough one. You know, Dino have got big big players in their squad. Um, but even then, you know, they're still... Still another round off the right after that, right? Is there? So um, it'll be it'll be a tricky path for them. Uh, Rostov bad form domestically, but you know the opponents you you sort of fancy they'd have a good go at beating um, the Bosnians at the very least. Whether the uh, you know uh, the Israeli sides are usually stronger than they seem. They're gonna you know uh, when they come across in Europe. You know we had. Uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv had a good go against Zenit a few years back, I remember, in the Europa. Um, and Kairat, you know, the Kazakh sides, you know, they, they, they've done well in the past. They've, they've reached the group stages. They've even been in the Champions League group stages a couple of times. So you can't, you can't say no to the Kazakh sides. I think they'll have a tougher time of it than, uh, than Dinamo will in the Europa, at least, um, especially considering they'll, they'll have another game after that as well. Um so yeah, I, I'd be more worried about Rostov making the the group stages just purely because they haven't really got a striker at the moment. Krasnodar, you know, Power Benfica, that's going to be tough either way. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a two legger though that one. You know, first legs at home, second legs away, but that that's it. That's their only two games, and then if they win it, they're in the Champions League. So, um, you know, we, we saw them beat Porto at this well two stages before this last year. So, um, you know, maybe they can have a good go against power, uh, against Benfica if, if they win. Obviously, last year they went out to Olympiacos. Power are not as strong as probably Olympiacos were, but we've seen Power beat Spartak um, 
two years ago. So uh, we know it's the Champions League. It's going to be tough either way for Krasnodar. Um, but they're on decent form. Anderson's looking good. Berg's putting in goals quite regularly. Um, Cabela's coming back. Klaassen's back. Um, so you'd fancy they, they'd have a good go. And either way, you know, they're going to be in the Europa League. So um, so we can't really complain. But, you know, I'm hoping they, hoping they can do it. Yeah, two years ago when Pauk beat Spartak, they they absolutely destroyed them and Spartak were away. And then Spartak at home kind of got through that drab nil-nil draw. And I, I believe, if I remember rightly, it was that Champions League playoffs. It was the, the loss against Benfica, didn't they? It's Pauk last year and then dropped into the Europa League. Or two years ago it was, sorry. Um, when Benfica wiped the floor with them. So you would probably presume that ben, I mean, Benfica has not really lost too much since then. Uh, and have got enough quality to get rid of Pauk. But Granada's the interesting one for me. Is from the, 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 It's the first time in the Europa League, or will be the first time in the Europa League. It's the first, the first time they've ever come, got through to the qualifiers for European competition. They've got, if I believe, I remember rightly, he's the youngest manager in the Liga right now, in, a, in Martinez. And they play, although they're very different to Dinamo, where they've got like one of the smallest budgets in the Liga, uh, they play similarly to Dinamo in the sense that they're very compact, they're very organised, they've turned to youth. So obviously Dinamo caught up, had to catch up a little bit on that one when he really turned into the youth in, in literally the last three or four weeks. But it's going to be, in, in, if they do, obviously both teams do defeat the minnows from Albania and Georgia, as you would expect. Um, but once again, as you said, one game ties could go either way. I think Granada would be quite a difficult tie for Dinamo. Dinamo should have the quality on paper, but Granada didn't have the quality on paper to qualify last year for even this stage and and they've absolutely they've done that brilliantly. And if I believe if I remember rightly they play like a, a an awkward four two three one which is very narrow. And they try and pack the channels. And essentially that's what Arsenal Tula done to Dinamo. Uh let's Lutsenka ran off to the channel while Lesavoy would swap positions and it forced Yevgenev into that terrible mistake. Um, uh, to be honest, it was Lutsenko against his old team. He was always going to do that every game he has against Dinamo. He absolutely rocks them. But I don't know how Dinamo are going to cope, to be honest, with the sheer amount of early games that they're going to have in this first half of the season. I mean, it'll be come the end of September, should they play these games, they would have had upwards of almost 12 to 13 games already. And they've got quite a small squad. Now, they are extending it, but because of the sheer numbers they released last year, they dropped seven players out, and they're only just getting back up to that now. Uh, I don't know how, how how do you think, David? Do you think they'll, uh, they'll start a struggle, possibly, by come Christmas? Or, um, I just think they'll worry about the numbers. Well, I think what we've seen with Dinamo so far is that they've been... Uh, or Novikov, certainly he's not been shy of using subs. Um, he's made numerous subs at half-time, in the season already, you know, we're only six games in. Um, and he's got very good use out of uh, his academy players so far. He's used players like Gruyov, Moskvichov, Slepov, Karapuzov. They've all, all these guys have come on and got minutes so far in the league. Uh, Terokov as well. Um, and you're not getting loads of minutes, but they're coming on and they're keeping the big players fit. Um, even, you know, sometimes to their detriment when they've been brought on when chasing a game or whatever. Um, but he's doing his best to, to rotate his squad and make sure that he's, you know, it's, it's a busy schedule. We've, they've played 
you know, every three or four days for the last three weeks now. Um, so it's been a busy schedule and, you know, the RPL managers have had to make the most of their squads and, and rotate. Not all of them have, but, you know, have been, have been good in, in that sense. You know, Shemansky, he's like top of the assist charts. I mean, he's got four assists this season already, but he's barely got past 70 minutes so far this season. He, he keeps getting hauled off. Um, early doors, and he makes way for someone like Karapuzov, Gruyov, Spit, or um, Slipov uh, to come on and just, you know, do a bit of running down the wings and do do the hard work that Shemansky, you know, needs to be saved um, to come on and bring bring the team more assists that like he has been doing. So, um, you know, if they can keep on doing that, then then that's great. Obviously, we hearing rumours they're going to try and maybe bring in another winger, Lestavoy from Arsenal too. That's been been linked this week and. That, you know, that would be a very good signing. He's a, he's a good young Russian winger who I felt was a bit unlucky not to get some sort of international call up this week, whether that be um, to the full squad in, in place of Mostovoy or to the under-21s, currently he's 22, but he could still sneak in there, I believe the rules stipulate. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I think they'd be okay in that respect. Yeah, Lesavoy's a little bit of an interesting one, wouldn't it? I think first meant when it was first mentioned to myself, I was I literally done that eye roll, that that white guy blinking meme that that went went stormed the internet last year. Where Lesavoy has played very well for Arsenal, and he's he's got he's one of the highest scorers. He's he's constantly one of the highest take on completers. He's he's playing great, but I must admit I was a little bit surprised that Dinamo don't go for say Zinchenko, uh, Zinchenko, Jesus Christ, uh, Zinkovsky. Who got relegated last year? Of course, was Krilia. Um So, do you think? Do you think Dinamo would be better off with Zinki or Lesavoy? It's a tough one. They're, as much as they're both good wingers who both like to dribble with the ball, um, they both have different styles. You know, as as you said, I think as we discussed in the chat, um, you know, Lesavoy is more of a guy who's gonna run directly towards the goal and, and try and get a shot off, whereas Zinke's going to be the kind of guy who's going to take on players and try and get a ball in the box, you know. Granted, this season he's he's playing regularly for Krillia and he's he's joint top scorer with the Feniel, so he's, he's getting some goals, um, which which is good. Um, so, yeah, when the obviously the rumour are that he's going to go to Arsenal and Lesavoy, therefore, will go to Dino. Um it's a strange one, you know. Zinke came up with what, eight or nine assists last year in the in the Premier League, but only scored once. Yeah, Whereas Lesavoy came up with, you know, Lesavoy came up with, you know, let more goals than assists. So they're different outputs in terms of you know what they're going to give you on the pitch. What do Dinamo need? You've got Shimansky providing assists at the moment. Um, maybe they need someone uh, of that attacking midfield line to to start providing goals. If Shemansky and and G playing out wide aren't, aren't scoring the goals, which you know, let's be honest, since they both joined, they really haven't scored the goals. They've scored probably no more than five between them. Um, maybe they need someone who can who can grab goals and who's not a striker. So so maybe this is the better move. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. It is easy to say, as I mentioned, that I mean we we are big fans of Chitanova and the work that they do. But oh yeah, it's Zinke, easy. He's a, he's a quality player, Zinke. We we know that. Yeah, um, it, it's easy to grasp onto that, but lesser voice sometimes is just maybe the fits that fits best for Dinamo. I mean, you mentioned Shemansky by name, you meant, and also Maximilian Philip. He's been playing out wide quite a lot recently. It's 
and to be quite honest, he's he's wasted out there. His work rate is minimal when he plays in the 10, and you can kind of get away with that. You can have that luxury to an extent with that position. But how wide, he, he never tracks back. And one of the big problems why Scotland's have struggled so much against Zanit and against Arsenal Tula, and Lesavoy in particular, is because he had nobody helping him out. Absolutely nothing there. And Lesavoy would certainly do that. He would. He's, he's a lot more dynamic than Zinkovsky. He's a lot faster. And, and his pure directness. Would, would really compliment Dinamo, especially with like young lads like Ruliov, who is in and out within team, rightly so at the age. But as an interesting little historical side note on Dinamo, which is probably the last word on them, is that I consulted the local encyclopedia Russian football, and that's Alexei Shakarov, who writes for the RFN, for some stats on Dinamo versus local Tbilisi. And the last time Dinamo Moscow played local Tbilisi, the, the, it was way back in 1940, where five penalties were all taken in one game between the two sides. Dinamo actually won 5-2 and each team scored a brace of pens with Tbilisi missing the third. <laughs> Pretty crazy that the, the two teams haven't played since 1940. Now, David, you did allude to it earlier a little bit, but you mentioned that Rostov may have the most difficult set of fixtures out of these teams. Now, it might be a little weird looking at, like, obviously, Krasadar might face Pauka Benfica and the big names, or I guess it Dinamo themselves might face Granada, who have, who have been flying in La Liga. But with Rostov's three of Maccabi Haifa, uh, Zelezhnika or Kairat Almaty, is, is that the opponents posing Rostov a threat or more so Rostov themselves not really getting sorted out properly? Um, a, a slight combination of both. You know, it could be a weak opponent, but if you've got no one to score the goals, um, you're not going to beat them. And, and at the moment, they don't have... Uh, someone to score the goals. I think we we talked about Shmurov uh, on a recent pod. I, I'm pretty sure, and you know how he's how he's not scored um, since since the COVID break, um, and only once I think in 2020. Um, so I think you know it was maybe a flash in the pan that that break of form he had this time last year. Um, and outside of him, they've only got a young Macedonia at front, and, and that's not what you need. You know, you've, they've got all these exciting. And very talented, uh, not even exciting, experienced, I think was the word I wanted. Experienced and talented midfielders, you know, Yonov, Yeremenka, uh, no longer pop off, uh, Polos now, I suppose, uh, Mamayev, of course. Uh, and they're the guys who are going to probably have to carry the team through um, until until Shomorodov gets his act together and can start finding the back of the net again. Um, you'd fancy them to be strong enough to, to beat any of those sides on paper, um, just because of you know the squad on, in, on paper is is pretty good, especially in the midfield. Um, but but without someone scoring, it's it, it's going to be a struggle. Yeah, I think I think the strongest part of Rostov's side is arguably in midfield, especially with Hashimoto coming in and having the impact that he's had. And I'm a big fan of Norman, and and it, it's I've seen it. Parfionov, uh, Dmitry Parfionov, the former Ural manager, was actually giving an interview about Rostov, and and they were asked what's his opinion on how Rostov set up, and it was I think it was if I remember rightly, it was on punditry, um, and he said it's actually weird that they have morphed into a, a, the four three three that Liverpool play, and when Norman's role in that is that he's the water carrier, he's the one who comes deep defence constantly, and when I seen that Popov would be going to Sochi for basically the swap for. From 
Team Apollos. That was a little bit of odd one. I mean, Apollos is not what Rostov needed whatsoever. They're desperate for somebody to, to, to score a goal more than anything. It's just cut the crap. The, the, the shorter goals. And Shomorodov, I do agree. I think he was looking back, a flash in the pan. And to be honest, uh, as I've mentioned before on the pod, I was eating, eating my words happily that I always believed that it would be the opposite way. I thought at the time Sobolev was the flash in the pan because Sobolev's XG just completely outmatched his XGA, completely outmatched Krilia's play, their their own XG, and it looked like he was the one who was just banging them in from here le- right and left, but it was actually Shomorodov has been just a shadow of a player that you've seen 12 months ago nearly now. So, they get rid of, they've gotten rid of players that really help remedy their issue, and I worry for Rostov right now, just because this, you don't really see you, you, you get an impression from sometimes from transfer windows of how transfer windows are going. Obviously, you hear agent talk. If if players and teams are constantly linked to one another, you can tell that that's what that team's looking for. If not necessarily, you find out the real target. And Rostov has just been a significant lack of sort of links in, in the press in general of attacking reinforcements. So obviously, there has been, there always will be. It's the press, but I just have to worry a little bit about Rostov in the long term. And I think in the short term, I'm not quite sure if they do get through that, to be quite honest, of whichever team it is. Like you said, the Kazakhstani teams particularly are always an outlier. Have Rostov, a player, got a better better squad than the Kairat or Amati? Well, yes, they do, but a couple of years ago, we were looking at teams like having better squads. I mean, look, Siska with that, that group that they had, where it was Ferenc Faros and Ludogorets, they were on paper, they should have walked it, and they were absolutely slaughtered. These teams win the league year in, year out. These teams are the opposite of of the Rostovs, where they are European contenders all the time, and it's arguably one of the trickiest ties that you can get. Moving on from Europe, and we'll go back to the RPL for a while. This week, I've taken the editorial decision to upgrade the Spartak Minute into a focus on the side, with Domenico Tedesco's men first in the league during the course of the international break. First of all, I just want to read out some interesting stats that were found out today, just to show how good Spartak are right now, and Conversely, to be quite honest, how badly they have been over the last couple of years. So Spartak are currently undergoing the longest unbeaten run under Tedesco of seven games and longest winning streak of four games. They have not conceded at all from open play this season. The top of the league for the first time since winning the league in May 2017 under Massimo Carrera. They scored a goal in each of the first six games for the first time since the same same year. Undergoing the current best run at all since going seven unbeaten once again under Carrera in the league title winning season. They're fielding the highest percentage of players under the age of 23 in the modern era, in, this, in the post-Soviet era. And the highest percentage of Russian players have start, are currently starting in the team under Fedun and since Oleg Romantsev was in charge. And interestingly, any opposition player has not actually scored from open play in the league against Spartak since Valerio Chaperka for Tambov, and that's 973 minutes of RPL football. Since then, Spartak have only conceded from penalties, set pieces directly, headers from corners, or the one own goal, which is Pasha Maslov against Sochi. Um, if, if anyone remembers, get the get the air replay out, because you just see Andre Mostavoy just <laughs> breaking down laughing and just the ridiculousness of the own goal, which is always quite funny. Now, Tedesco admitted this season that his players were not affected by the poor decision-making early on, and back end of last season against their side and at the time to be honest I feared that there was like a monkey that had been hanging on the backs it was kind of like 
you've seen so often that they were waiting for something to happen. Like the the, the atmosphere in the stadium was just tense. Well, it was anyway because there was very few people in. But like the players looked like they were waiting for something to happen. And then when like say for example, Sochi's goal in the last minute was given, the, the penalty was given. You just knew it was going to happen. Um, the the Sobolev uh, disallowed goal. And now I'm not trying to say there's conspiracy or anything like that. It's just the 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 players. It seemed like they had something in the back of the head. And to their credit, it seems like the opposite, like they're driven to try and grind out the results necessary. And this past week has actually seen Sparta come from behind to win, both before and either side of what's statistically classed as a simple victory, which is 1-0 victory. And that's the first time they've done so, to take nine points in a week for the first time in their history. So they're obviously turning it around somehow. And they're on the best run of form in the division right now. And... And possibly when you have more to come with Sasha Kokorin and Austin Uranov have been barely featured so far. But David, what I would like to ask is, despite all these crazy statistics that are equally showing why Spartak have been terrible recently and just how good they were in the league title winning season, is this a flash in the pan? I mean, Spartak have got the lowest average age in the RPL admits the current starting 11s. Or is it possibly putting a trust in youth like Siska just paying off? Um... Well, I think it helps now. Now that they're winning, they're they're stopping to focus on the refereeing stuff that was going against them because they weren't winning. All that focus was going on the refs, even when the decisions were fair. Uh, and I think it was just becoming a massive burden on every Spartak player and fan and and the coaches, everyone there, because it was just an easy way for them to to blame. Um, the, the new season was, you know, it's a fresh start for them, and they and they've come out and they've uh, they've done well. I think the loco game was a was a big sign of uh, of how good they are. Granted, loco were uh, were struck down by Baranov and Miranchuk going off injured, uh, which was a big loss. But but they were they were very good, and you know, Tedesco he's made a slight change in the tactic from from last season. We're we're seeing uh, the midfield three of Kral and Yarov and, and Bakayev um, operating a lot a lot better than last year, I think. Um, obviously, Yarov missed a big chunk there towards the end of last season, and uh, we had someone else in there. I can't even remember who it would have been now, uh, but it, it, you know it, it wasn't working as well. Um, and you, and you've seen, I think most importantly, we've seen we've seen Larson up front come into his own and sort of. He's sort of taking on that promise, promise role amongst amongst the fans. You know, he, he's got that slight bit sheer bit of arrogance about him. You know, when he scores, you know, he 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 wants the fans to like him, and he he think he knows he's bet he's good, and he he knows what he's done is good. And I think the fans like that about him, and you know, he, he's carrying that burden of driving the team forward. You know, he's got three goals and two assists in, in six appearances, which is you know is a very good output this season. Um, and you know we we always wondered you know of the three strikers they've got obviously they can't play them all Ponsa Sobolev um, well I'd say three Ponsa Sobolev uh, Larson Kukorin, um, and even Glushenkov you know that's five good players who can play up front and we we wondered who was gonna you know who's gonna play you know which which two are gonna be the the best two are gonna be the favorite duo I think Larson's staked a very good claim so I'm not even just the best striker, but one of the leaders of the team. So he's not going to be captain because you've got Jikia there, you know, experience at the back. 
And I think even next to that, it would be Gigo because, like, like Larson, he's a bit of a cult figure among the fans. Um, so yeah, I think I think Larson's um, emergence this year has really driven them forwards. Whether they'll keep it up, um, there's nothing to say otherwise uh, at the moment. You know, it's it's very good. They need to obviously uh, pick it up at set pieces and stop stop conceding from corners or free kicks, which is pretty much all they're doing right now. But the fact that they're not conceding for open play is something good. Um, it will be. I wonder. I was wondering then in my head when when are they playing Zenit because. Zenit is struggling a little bit at the moment, and if they if they're playing them anytime soon, now would be the time to get out there and, and really show whether they got got the got the cojones for a proper challenge at the title this year. You know, if they go out there and beat Zenit in the next couple of weeks, I don't know if that is when the fixture is or not, and um, that would really show that you know, they they mean business this season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just to quickly on the, on the Zenit one is yeah the um, Spartak's game after the international break is away to Siska, and then I think if they believe they play your boys Rubin, and then not long after that is is Zenit at home. It is it's the very start of October, so it is in three or four weeks. Mm. Give a tip. Tricky, tricky little schedule there. Siska, Siska away, obviously big. Big Moscow derby. They, you know, we've already seen them come out. I'm talking in in one Moscow derby against Loco, so you know. See, we see how they do there. Ruben been on up and down form, but we'll see how we get on there. Tamov last year were a bit of a bogey team, so that'll be an interesting one. But then, yeah, Zenit, Zenit at home early October. That's you know, a month away. That that that's a big fixture. You know, Zenit may have got out of their little rut by then. Um, you know, they've not scored in the last two games and not won in the last two games either. Um, but that in 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 the grand scheme of things, it seems weird to say it already, but we're already. Um, you know, a fifth of the way through the season. Um, it, it could be a big game in terms of the title race already. Um, you know, Spartak's in it. We're, we're all expecting to be up there. Uh, if Spartak are going to put on a challenge, it's, it's a big fixture. Yeah, Spartak looks right now, obviously, in the very early days to be the most consistent performer and the most consistent challenger. But these games are, are going to decide Spartak's season. They were solid enough for a lot of last year in some of these but they crucially lost away to Krasadar, they lost away to Loco, they lost away to Kuska, they lost home underway to Zenit, they lost home underway to they lost home underway to Loco, sorry. So they lost all these big, massive games last season that that were vitally important. And and to their credit, the only time they've been challenged this year is that they've they've came out on top. They came out on top against Loco. Now Loco was partly extenuating circumstances, but I must admit I I was critical of Tedesco last season. And he has definitely changed it. For too long, last season, the football was ponderous. It was just punctuated by consistently long balls. And even before like Sanya Sobolev signed in the winter, it was just, let's get it up the pitch as quickly as we can. It was it was very Kononov-esque, basically. It was eerily similar to the way that Spartak played under Kononov, where it was all just hit on the counter, get it as long as possible. And under Carreras, the very end of Carreras tenure, you lost that. I was a little bit like that as well. He'd lost his most dynamic player in Quincy Promes. He'd, he'd lost his leader in midfield in Fernando. He lost the leader at the back, or who his leader at the back was at the time, in, in Salvatore Bacchetti. Now, he, re- he re- managed to replace some of these players over time, but the sheer quality of that yet lost in the final third, and Carrera's football was defence first and defence only at times, is very much like that old Catanaccio manager. He, he was, that's why he was 
Conte's assistant for years. He, he was the Conte's defensive mastermind. So Cisco uh, Sparta kind of suffered in a, a little post-Carrera sort of rut for a while where Kononov came in, the football was crap, and it's taken Tedesco some time to get away from that. And I was massively critical of him in pre-season and towards the end of last season. But it is his tweaks that's been doing this. He He now looks like the man who, to be honest, I mean, I don't want to get too caught up in this but if you look at the social media the club social media accounts and particularly the videos on youtube and so on the players absolutely adore him his interactions with players like larson and bakayev like he, every time they win he's he goes crazy to the camera and goes at the bakayev and like hugs him and punches him and slaps him on the back and screams in his face and bakayev kind of doesn't know what to do with himself at first and then afterwards just just laughing his head off and loving it you can tell he's really enjoying his football right now others like alex corral and <laughs> and then on the on the other side of that is, uh, I know we both found it quite funny that um, at the end of the local derby game, there was the Spartak fans did the the old German celebration with all in the circle and centre circle, and then they did, went back to the Fratria uh, in the Sud Tribune and and the old and, and sang the Spartak chant that they always do after every victory. <laughs> and there's quite a few players, especially some of the foreign lads who are loving it and really going for it. But in the corner, you just seen Gus Till kind of half fast just put his hands in the air. And you can tell he just did not want to be there whatsoever. But every just about when every other one, the foreign lads, especially in the big name players, look like they're really enjoying it. And it's partly Tedesco's tactical shifts that helped. And, and you mentioned like moving around the midfield. Now, one of the big ones that Tedesco does now is, is the overload of the right flank. 41% of Spartak's attacks against Loco came down the right flank. And that's, that's Machiav Schreiber. He's, 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 he's no slouch. He's a bloody one of the better, better fullbacks in the league. And this just shows that when Maslov pushes up, Sobnin, who he moved out wide, pushes up. They can't, you can't really handle them because Larson then comes deep. And, and there's a good article on one of our friend, uh, friend sites of one. It's in Russian, but get yourself a translator or so on if you can't speak Russian. And it perfectly shows like a local's left-hand side. And it's just like two guys surrounded by red shirts like in a complete circle. And they've got nowhere to go. And this is when Spartak are on the ball in, local, in the corner of local's box. And it just shows this sort of ponderance that they used to have of, and pensions to, to smack it long to Sobolev and hope for the best is just completely gone now. They're pushing men forwards in the right positions and overloading teams that, that he's, he's looking at teams' weaknesses and he saw that there is a weakness on Loco's left-hand side and it's basically when Krakowiak pushes high there's a massive gap there and that gap was just extenuated when Baranov went, in, off, went, off, went off injured who covers just about more ground than anybody else in the local team put together. So I've just got to give Tedesco the utmost credit and, and the Italian-German, whatever he is, genuinely, genuinely surprised me. And I'm really glad to be eating my words at this because he seems like the sort of man, like the Carrera-esque figure who could possibly drag Spartak forward. I don't know what your thoughts are on Tedesco in general, David. Well, I was just going to, I was just going to come back to it too. Obviously, um, we mentioned, you, you mentioned just there and his lack of enthusiasm with the uh, celebrating with the fans and uh, obviously we're seeing now that he's likely to be off off on loan to uh, to Freiburg I think he's been linked with a two-year loan so um you know we, we we sort of figured his time might be up another injury this weekend when he came on um and he's not had a good time of it in Russia you know he's the record signing and he's 
he's just not fit fitted well into into whatever Tedesco has wanted to do, uh, and into the, the pace of the league. Uh, so with his departure, you'd expect uh, Spartak to to try and dip into the market because uh, you know we, we talk about the you know the strength down the right with with Zobnin, uh, but. He's a midfielder, and then we look at the midfield, and we've got Umyarov, Kral, uh, until really the only centre midfielders in there, I think, or Zobnin, of course. Um, and if Till goes, they, they've got two free spots in there for foreign for foreign players to come in. Um, so you, you'd imagine Spartak will even strengthen before the end of the transfer window and bring in a couple more players uh, from abroad um, to probably bolster midfield and maybe right back, which is what we've seen them link with right back. A, you know, plethora of right backs uh, because Roskazov seems out of favour, um, and and obviously we've got Zobnin and and Maslov who can who can play there. Although Maslov's obviously been been given the centre centre half starting berth, so it's only going to get better even for Spartak at this stage. You know, if Till goes, that obviously that's not a transfer, but the, you know there's going to be funds there for them to go out and, and to even improve the squad further. Um, you know, as for Tedesco. Uh, you know, I fully agree. You know, the, he's, he's very passionate, as we know. We, we talked about it last season where he was getting tons and tons of yellow cards and red cards when the refs were, you know, seemingly against them. Um, and yeah, he's he's. I think it's finally coming good for him. We we know he's a good manager. We've seen it in Schalke. You know? He had, he had a very good year with them uh, previously, uh, and now he's had that time to settle and had a fresh start at the start of this season. Granted, with very little break between the seasons it's it's coming together quite well for him now um but, you know with certain leaders evolving you know evolving in the team and, and standing out so you know all props to him and you know we've seen him even speaking russian recently so he, he's uh he's taken to life well in, in moscow yeah on uh, until two as well the this there was a f- former Spartak player, um, Alexander Mostovoy, was was asked his comments on Till, and and he, I don't know if there's any insider insight into Spartak or not. Uh, Mostovoy does spend a lot of time at Tashina and at the Otkritia, but he, he basically said that it was, this was on Fanatik.ru, the Spartak supporter site, that um, it didn't work out for Till because the head coach didn't have his trust. Um, he basically didn't agree with his views on football. Uh, Till didn't like the counter-attacking style. Um, and that the big one, apparently, is that Till was a zone signing, not a Tedesco signing. Yeah, and this well, is it, I, I just read that, yeah. Um, about how he was signed for, for Kononov's disagreed. tactics, basically, yeah. So um, yeah. When, when Tedesco came in, he obviously didn't suit, and, and Bakayev obviously did suit. Yeah, it 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 does actually. He does specifically say that Tedesco rates Till, who just doesn't quite fit into his system. Which I mean, I mean whenever I've seen Till, he, he's been talented. He he looks a player, but mentally he doesn't look involved. He doesn't look involved in the pitch half the time. And I agree with what you mentioned there. But if you're going to choose Till or Bakaya, if there's only one man there, Till's behind Duranov in the pecking order for me too as well. And Glushenko, there's loads of players ahead of him now. So just to get rid and try and use that free foreigner place or or whatever or some money if it can get the money for the loan for if it was a loan fee involved to Freiburg, and it's just it's just good business. Now 
moving away from Till and perhaps talking about a more successful player. Now, who would you, if you could pick one player who's impressed you so far, who would it be in the Spartak team? Any man. Well, I harped on about Larson a lot already, um, so I wouldn't say him now. Uh, but we'll, we'll go with um, Nalo and Yarov in, in the midfield. Um, when, when Tedesco first joined, I remember he um, Yarov hadn't been playing under Kolonov. But Tedesco joined, and uh, he was immediately put in the starting lineup and became a, a regular first team player for him. Uh, you know, he only dropped out in in early twenty twenty because he picked up quite a quite a bad injury and was out for quite a while. Um, and we we've known for a while that he's he's a good player, even back from his Chertanova times. We we've got one of our one of our colleagues uh, is a reputable scout for a for an English side or for a British side, I should say. Um, and he he'd seen him Yarov back in his teenage teenagers and said, you know, he's a good player, this kid. And, and we're seeing that now come to fruition. You know, this is a twenty-year-old kid who's who's come out of you know the Russian lower league and is all of a sudden, you know, absolutely just playing out of his skin in in the centre midfield for the biggest club in the country, uh, alongside international footballers. Um, you know, he, he he's so composed on the ball. He he's just a perfect little. Well, I, I want to just say water carrier just because you've said it already and it's in my head. Um, but, he, you know, you're not going to have him go forward, but he, he just does everything he needs to write uh, and with a good level of ability and skill. Uh, you know, very good passer, good good little, good good movement, good, good on the ball even when he needs to be. Just a very tidy player um, and, and without a doubt will be a, a full international probably within the next couple of years for Russia. Um so, so, yeah, I'd have to tip my hat to him. Yeah, it's kind of... What a career is like, the closest thing you can say to describe the way he's been playing at times, but it's also... I know I know what you mean. Like, it, it also seems like you're insulting him, if it, but, but it wouldn't mm. mean it in a good sense. that yeah. Him and Kral plays two sixes, essentially, in, in Tedesco's system, especially now he's shifted to the back three. And, yeah, I mean, even you just look at him, you know, if you, if you put him there... And, in just regular day, day, you know, daily clothing, he's a, he's a tiny little scrawny kid, basically with blonde hair, a little blonde mop on his head. You'd never spot him as a footballer in a million years. And then you put him on the pitch, and he's just, you know, he's a fantastic little player. Um, it's hard to put any comparison. I'm trying to think of like who you could compare him to, but he, you know, he's quite small, he's quite skinny, um, but but he's superior in most most challenges. I would say without without looking at the, the statistics. I mean, ironically, from a Spartak perspective, you can compare him to Maslov in that sense. I mean, different different positions, different type of players entirely, but Maslov himself is is a little bit on the slight side. He's a little bit of a smaller player, mm-hmm. came mm-hmm. through the Spartak Academy, but technically he's absolutely sound and probably Spartak's best defender in terms of, a best centre, like the centre-back defender in terms of his pure technique. I wouldn't say that academy comment now around Andrew Flynn. Because no. <laughs> we all know he yeah, actually didn't come through the academy. <laughs> yeah, he's a two men, but pushing through Spartak 2 and so on. He's He spent yeah. a year or so at Spartak yeah. moving on from two men. Yes. But yes. for me, if I was going to pick anyone, it would actually be who was moved over to accommodate Umiarov, which in itself is complimentary to Umiarov, and that would be Roman Zobnin. It might be odd that none of us have picked Larson, Kral, Zizou or Maximenka or Sobolev who are on top of the game, but 
For me, nobody's been quite as influential as Zobnin, who's finally shown the form that he did through Spartak's title-winning campaign for the first time since his nasty long-term layoff for injury. Now, he's won more ground and aerial duels than any other Spartak player this season. Uh, he's got the highest average passing success rate of all midfielders and attackers, the most key passes per game, the most successful crosses. Like, if you just keep going through like every single metric, every single statistic, Zobnin is there near the top. Now, Partly that is because wing backs in in this in this inherent that system are, are so vitally important. The best teams in the world who play with that formation play it because they've got the best players suited out into the wing backs. So they see a lot of the ball both in attack and defence and so on. But the paradox of last season with Spartak is that they never really had an adequate re- replacement for Kral in the middle. Like without his vol- the sheer volume of play that goes through him, his sharpness of movement, his crisp passing, and that's until now. And ironically, Umyarov, who's Umyarov last year, took far more time to search for solutions and to recycle the play, and as in that double six, and that's completely understandable because it's his first year in the Premier League, it's his first year at this elite level, his first year at Spartak, and so on. But Tedesco's decision to move Zobnin out wide. And introduce some Yarov was doubly effective because it allows Zobnin the freedom to roam in, in what I think he's best at. He's not a defensive midfielder. He needs to get forward and, and support the attack. While also gives Spartak a more balanced midfield triplet. And it constantly ensures that Kral and Yarov as that pair of sixes are allowed to defend with sufficient discipline. But are also, with Bakayev introduced, are more influential in attacking transitions. And Bakayev certainly in that, that clear, defined number 10 role that he's been playing. And he plays a key role in that in particular. Um, Bakayev will play a key role as well for Spornaya, as this weekend is international football, and specifically the Nations League takes over, as Russia play two Group B games. First of all, they face off against Serbia at the Lev Yashin Stadium on Thursday. Before on Sunday, it'll go, go to Hungary to play in Budapest. Now, there's been a few changes from last week's squad as Yevgeny Lutsenko and Alexander Golovin have pulled out due to injury and have been respectively replaced by Alexander Sobolev and Daniel Famin. Now, as you will recall, in the last Nations League, Russia remained in League B after defeating Turkey twice and then drawing and losing against Sweden. Thus, this time around, they're going to face Hungary, Serbia and Turkey in League B Group 3. And Russia comes into the back of this after having not almost played in just under a year, but also off the back of a highly successful Europe qualifying tournament, winning eight of their ten matches, only losing the world's number one side, Belgium. In these world rankings, Russia are actually third of these four teams in the little group, with Serbia and Turkey joint 29th, Hungary 52nd, and Russia sandwiched in between at 38th. So David, you were actually unhappy with Chachesov's initial squad. Have the call-ups of Femin and Sobolev eased some of your initial anger, or did he have nowhere else to go? Well, he he was you know he had to make the changes because players got injured, um, and then well, obviously we want Golovin in the squad as as much as possible because he's arguably Russia's best player. Um, obviously, Cherishev is out as well, which which leaves Russia without a wide player uh, and, and perhaps one of one of their other better players. Um, you know, it was it was nice to see Litsenko there. Of all the strikers who who got called up, it was probably more Smolov or or Komlichenko who probably didn't deserve to be there over Solov. Um, but it, it's good that Solov's you know uh, done what he needs to do to to make things up with Church Solov and Zuba and and earn a call up to the squad. 
Um, and, you know, Formin's had a good season. You know, he got a call up uh, to the Russia squad um, whenever the last selection was, pre-COVID, I, I recall, back when he was still with Uther. Uh, didn't get a cap, but he was called up. Um, considering some of the players in the squad, like Neustadter and and, uh, and Kuziaev, who are, who are clubless, uh, it seemed he was a little hard done by not to have got in the squad initially. And over over Golovin, you probably wouldn't have picked Formin because you, you want someone who's got a bit more pizzazz uh, rather yeah. than Formin, who's, who's just a very good central midfielder rather than a bit more attacking. Um, but we know Bakayev can can cover that and Formin's just a, a good midfielder to have in the squad um, and, and deserved it. Um, so deserved call-ups for Sobolev and Formin. You know, it, it would have been nicer if they were actually in the squad on merit rather than what I've got to call them up. Yeah, certainly. Um, it was a little bit of a loaded question, to be honest, because uh, any team without Golovan is a weaker team. <laughs> it's it's for, for, for the reason that you want one of soon-to-be two, uh, only Russia players who actually play in one of the top five leagues in Europe. It has been very, very influential for Monaco of late as well, before the injury. But now Serbia are in... Russia's Nations League group, and they, this is the first game it'll be tomorrow night on Thursday. They've not yet qualified for what is next year's Euros after what's well, they're going through a little bit of a difficult, just difficult transitional period, and they have to play Norway, I believe it is, in the playoffs. Now they've lost some big name players such as Nemanja Matic, who's retired from international football, but to be honest, they still possess a, a squad that's absolutely jam packed full of genuine talent. Do you think Russia's got enough to beat them on home turf? Well, I remember seeing, I think it was an interview with Dugalich, um, a Serbian guy who used to play for Tosno in the RPL today. And uh, he was saying, you know, Russia have got to go out and play what he says is the best Serbian team uh, of the last decade, uh, which is, you know, it's a big call considering there have been other Serbian teams in the World Cup in the last, you know, 10 years. Uh, and Serbia weren't at the 2018 World Cup. Um, you know, it, you know, in the nation leagues, by definition, means you're going to have tough opponents who you can't really, on paper, say you're going to beat or lose against. Um, that's just definition of how the the nation league is set up, which was what makes it quite intriguing. Um, so yeah, it's very tough for, for someone like us or pundits to go out and say say what the result's going to be. Uh, you know, Russia missing a couple of key players in Golovin uh, and Cherishev. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's all going to come down to tactics and, and how they get on on the day. And obviously, without knowing how Serbia play, or without researching squad, which I haven't because I'm very very unprepared, um, it's hard to say too much uh, as to how they're going to get on. Um, and almost certainly that it will be probably a tight game if if Cher if uh, not Cherishev if Churchsov, you know, is anticipating. A good Serbian side, we, we know how he's going to sit up. He's going to go heavy defensive like he did against Belgium. Obviously, he didn't work against Belgium. Belgium have got that extra bit of star quality. Um, but maybe against Serbia, they'll, they'll give it a good go. Yeah, definitely. I, that, that's exactly how I see the game panning out, to be honest. I think Serbia will be favourites in this. Look at that squad that they've got, and it's impossible not to, not to think that. But 
in, interestingly, I've seen that their their, their head coach, um, Tabakovic, actually said that Russia are the favourites. And he was saying that, um, the, the, what was it? We're, we're going to try and adjust our style and impose our style upon Russia. To be perfectly honest, that just sounds like he's pandering a little bit. He was in Moscow in the in a press conference when he gave this speech when he gave this quote. I don't think Serbia need to adjust and fit their style to Russia whatsoever. To be perfectly honest, I think as you mentioned, Russia will be the ones who are adjusting their style for Serbia's sheer attacking ability. Like players like Mitrovic and Milinkovic Savic, just off the top of my head, are are, are, are brilliant especially in attacking situations when they dominate in possession. And that's what they're going to be doing. Um, this is why Russia's uh, Churches of Selection kind of goals a little bit to an extent, because as you mentioned, we've got a few injuries where key players are out. There's no there's no Alexei Maranchuk, no Golovan, no Cheryshev, who are probably the three most influential and creative players in the team. So because of that, it would be nice to see him completely change it and give more chances to players that you wouldn't necessarily have called up in the first place. Not Roman Neustadter, who hasn't, who does isn't actually with a team. Because Yaev, who don't get me wrong, I rate as a footballer, but isn't with a team. Kudryashov, who's played nine matches in eleven months or whatever it is, and Zherkov, who's got to be about three hundred and sixty now, never mind thirty six. These are these Nations League games are essentially competitive friendlies. That's why they were created. Yes, you might get Euro qualification at the end of it, but it's not a foregone conclusion that you will. And then it's just like a backup thing. What it does, what it does, is it allows you to have a friendly match, which is infinitely more competitive than playing Gibraltar or whatever. So then you stick these lads in, like Lesavoy. Like um, it would have been nice to see Glushenkov, Umyarov. I mean, obviously Spartak bias there, but some of the some of the younger players who you could blood early and get them experience, especially with these players who are out out missing. And I mean, with Cheryshev, with Maranchuk, with Golovan, I would have gave Russia a chance and say that they would have fought push it, uh, Serbia all the way, but without that three. I don't know. I don't think it's going to go too well, to be quite honest. Um, if I was going to predict anything, which I'm hastened to not ask for, it would be Serbia victory. Now, on the other hand, despite being away from home, Hungary is a different matter. They were at times the whipping boys, the Euro qualification group. They barely beat Azerbaijan, got humped off Croatia and Wales and lost twice against Slovakia. But they also managed to pull off some shock results against Croatia away from home and Wales at home. Now, as always, as they have been for the last 20 years, they're a real yo-yo side. But Russia should come up come up on top of this one. This is when you say the, the gulf and quality of Serbia. You'll have some guy doing the Hungarian football news podcast who looks at Russia's team and goes, damn, look at that quality. Like compared to Hungary. It's like, I don't know. What's your thoughts on that, David? Yeah, I mean, on paper, you definitely, you know, if you say, oh, Russia versus Hungary, you think of just the last World Cup where Russia, you know, got to the last 16 or the quarterfinals, wherever it was. And, you know, Hungary, a team who, yeah, who are hungry. Um, it's certainly one that, you know, you look at it and you think they should definitely be winning. Um, 
you know, they have got some good players. They, they're starting to get a little sort of a little new generation. You've got uh, Shabozlai and Red Bull Salzburg, who's going to be the, the, the key guy, I think, uh, yeah. in, the, in the team, definitely. Um, but it's a game that, you know, Russia have to win, you know, if if they want to stake themselves as a as a team who shouldn't be as low down as they are on the FIFA rankings, these are the games that they need to be winning. Um, you know, it is away from home, but they, they've still got the quality to beat the big teams. We've seen it, you know, granted we're going back a couple of years to, to the World Cup, uh, but they have beaten the big teams. We know they can do it. So, you know, why not? Um, you know, Hungary, Hungary should be one. They should be going to Budapest and be thinking, right, we're going to win this. Simple as that. Yeah, certainly. I, I, I wouldn't put it past Churchill to be seeing this to his players. I mean, he's, we all know he's a very pragmatic coach, and he, he he beats no punches in any form of press conference, and he can almost certainly expect exactly the same behind the scenes of the players. I mean, it's worth noting that he he got a birthday present from the players as well. <laughs> it's just a, a funny little headline that you're seeing. Yesterday, I believe it was, on every single Russian media site. Wonderful. But anyway, uh, that's been it for this week's episode of the RFN podcast. Check out the website at russianfootballnews.com. Remember to catch Russia's games. That's against Serbia on Thursday night and then Hungary away on Sunday. I've been James Nichols. That's at James Nichols on Twitter. David, where can everyone find you online? Uh, find me on Twitter at RFN underscore David. This has been the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечов. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля. Быстрота, увлечение, расчет.